condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. I have a message to all the white supremacists and the Nazis who came into Charlottesville today. Go home. You are not wanted in this great commonwealth. Shame on you. I'm Michael Howard, and this is the Musea Podcast. My name is Seth Harold. I'm a photographer based in the Midwest. I focus on news throughout the United States and uh, long-term projects. I'm focusing on social issues and human rights. And I'm Megan Jellinger. I am also based in the Midwest and I focus on social issues as well and women's issues. Cool. So I wanted to have you guys on because of everything that happened this weekend. I wanted to talk to somebody that was covering it and was there. Amy Powell, who I've talked to before on the podcast, pointed me to both of you. So thanks for taking the time after such a crazy weekend. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So I guess let's talk about when you guys got there, like when you knew you were going down and all of that. What was it like a couple of weeks ago? Like I had noticed, uh, I think it was like an event page that someone sent me about the Unite the Right rally. So I had text Megan, because right now I'm down in Southern Indiana working, but I text Megan and our colleague and friend Matthew Hatcher and asked if they would have been interested in going. So it was about two, three weeks ago that we all decided like, yeah, let's go down and cover this, especially when the Southern Poverty Law Center said that it was supposed to be the biggest gathering of hate groups in recent history in the U.S. We just felt like it was something that it was important to document because it is American history and it's a rise in hate groups in America over the past year. Yeah, we just felt it was important. So initially we just went down for those reasons. Just it was history and it needed to be seen. Mm -hmm. And I feel like from the moment that we decided to go and then by the time we were actually leaving, the turmoil in the situation definitely picked up. Yeah. So when did you guys get into town? We got in Friday night around 11 and... When we got there, like we uh, went and grabbed something to eat, and like while we were sitting there eating, is like when Megan got the news alert about the uh, white supremacists like going through UVA with like torches and or tiki torches and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was kind of like at that moment, like whenever we saw that, I remember looking at my buddy Matthew and just kind of like saying, like tomorrow is going to be intense. And mm-hmm. you know, we see now like it was more than just intense. Did you guys go down at night? No, because by the time we had got that alert, I believe that whole situation was over. So we didn't go. We just went back to our Airbnb, you know, popped the batteries for our cameras on the charger, got some rest and ended up going down Saturday around. I think we got to Emancipation Park like around 1030 or 11. And it was already fist fights and people beating each other with poles and helmets <laughs> yeah. and tear gas and pepper spray and everything. <laughs> yeah. So for both of you, like going into Saturday, what type of game plan did you have in terms of what you're going to cover or if you're going to stay together, split up? How did you work that? I don't know. We don't ever really discuss like what a game plan is. Mm-hmm. I think naturally the three of us and different times I've covered stuff like this, whoever I'm with, we just kind of naturally tend to stick together. Like, because when you're in a violent situation or environment, it's better, you know, to be there around each other in case someone maybe becomes a target of an attack. 
and then you have each other's back. It's just a safe, smart way to go. As far as like us deciding like what to cover, for me, it just kind of happens. I don't really think like, oh, I want to get this and I want to get that. I just let the situation kind of carry me. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. So what, when you got down there, I guess just describe the scene for me. Like what, when you first got there, what was it like in, in detail? Well, when we first walked up to Emancipation Park, things were starting to get a little heated. And then a few moments after we were there, people started throwing water bottles and it was just getting really intense and throwing things off over either side. And after that, it just kind of all hell broke loose and people tore down the barricade that was separating the white nationalists from the counter protesters. And it was kind of just an all out brawl from there. And just in the streets, it was anything went, they were just having it out at each other. Okay. So like with the media, I mean, you're sitting there and you're like reports come in, obviously, then you, we have like Trump giving his thoughts, you know, later Mm. in the day. (laughs) Do you feel, I guess when you were there, do you feel like both sides are aggressive or do you feel like, you know, one side instigated one more than the other or just the whole situation is like anybody that went down there just was a free for all. There was chaos. Initially, like from what I saw, like, okay, for example, like when we got down to Emancipation Park, the counter protesters were all down on the street Mm -hmm. and the Nazis and white supremacists and stuff were up in Emancipation Park. So like the way it sits is like the park sits a little bit higher up off the ground. So you literally have to walk upstairs to get into the park. So they were initially like staying separate and it was the white supremacists and Nazis that started throwing like Gatorade bottles and sticks and stuff like that. And then I think like a few of the white supremacist guys like came kind of down off the stairs and shoved someone with like a shield or something. And when that happened is when the counter protesters and stuff just kind of like charged up two or three stairs, went through the barricades. And then after that was like when everything kind of started to happen. So what I witnessed, and I'm not saying that there wasn't violence instigated from counter protesters, but what from what I witnessed and saw, the majority of the violence was instigated by the Nazis and white supremacists, like throughout the whole day. That's what it was like, Hmm. even to the moment, like before the incident with the car and the the Nazi running through the crowd, like they were peacefully marching through the streets. They they weren't going up and like bashing in cars or bashing in windows. They were actually clearing the way for vehicles to get through. Like the counter protesters were very organized and were trying to be as peaceful as they could, aside from the times when violence was being instigated upon them. Yeah, I agree with that. That's just what I've witnessed. You know, obviously can't be everywhere at once in those situations, but. Right. Did you see the militia kind of guys there that had their own AK-47s and all that? Like I've seen photos of. There were a few of those groups. The ones that I really only saw were a group called White Trash Against Fascism. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And, uh. Yeah, I asked them about it. They're like, oh, well, we're just from the South. They just smiled and kind of like walked away. (laughs) But I didn't really encounter any other militias aside from that group. I'm assuming just the riot police were there from the get-go. Because I felt like when I was trying to follow it on Twitter and things that it seemed like the police were late to the scene. I don't know. It seems like somebody was saying that there's no police here. Well, when they were at Emancipation Park, it seemed like they were standing off to the side And then when things would get heated, they would step in, 
break it up and then just step back out. They weren't really heavily involved. Yeah, it didn't come off that way at all. Like like Megan said, like they would just kind of come in, break everyone up, and then like take a few paces back and just stand there. And then people would just started like beating each other again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they would go in and break it up and then take a few paces back and just chill and people would start beating each other again. <laughs> like that was the whole day. And how long did you guys stay there? We were probably in the downtown area where everything was taking place till what maybe eight that evening yeah well actually later than that because we went back to file photos and then we went back out because there was supposed to be a vigil at uva and that ended up getting canceled and then the rain came and all that and that just kind of sent everyone indoors for the most part yeah and it was after the car attack it just seemed like everybody shut down and nobody really wanted to be out in the streets or protesting anything it just really shut the city down yeah Yeah, like when that (laughs) happened it would just kind of went silent in a sense like Mm. town just like shut down like restaurants were closed like people just went home like that was that like once all that was kind of that happened that was the end of the day essentially and that you know that happened fairly early on in the day yeah okay tell me megan were you the one that was closest to the car or were we both kind of equal distance from what happened Yeah, so I was kind of circling the block there and following some white supremacists and just documenting them and how they were interacting with some of the people on the streets. And so they walked up to the parking garage to get in their car and leave. And as I was standing near the parking garage, the car flew by and it was just torn to pieces. And everybody who was standing around was like, whoa, the protesters really got to his car and smashed it in, you know. Mm. So I was standing next to a girl and she got a text from one of her friends and it said that there were shots fired. And I was like, oh, okay, where's your friend at? And she was like, she's down this way because I wanted to see what was happening if that was actually taking place, you know. So as soon as I got to the next street over, I saw, you know, hats, sunglasses, shoes all laying in the road. And I was like, okay, this is not a shooting, like something else happened. So I take off running further down the road and I just came upon the scene and it's just bloody mangled bodies laying there and people's stuff all in the streets and just chaos. Seth, for you, how close were you? So I was on Water Street by a parking garage there. And like my account, basically, like everyone started like screaming and running and whatnot. And my first thought was, oh, like the police are shooting tear gas or rubber bullets even. And that's normal, usually in those situations for people to scream and run. So I just kind of started walking over that direction as well. I mean, I stopped a gentleman that was walking away from the situation. I said, you know, hey, man, like what happened? And he was like, oh, someone just came, like drove their car through the protesters. And so I ran over that way because the last time I had seen Megan and Matthew is they churned up that street. So my first initial thought was, like, well, they could have been hit. So I went up and started to look for them. I noticed they were across the street on the other side, you know, shooting images and whatnot. So then I started to kind of, you know, do my work and take pictures and stuff as well. But the side of the street I was on, it was where most of the people that were hit were laying. So it's just like maneuvering around these people and working and stuff and then just kind of taking in the scene. 
as well. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. So I mean, we have what nineteen injured and one death because of that. I mean, did you document everybody? Yeah, I mean, I documented. I have images of three individuals, but the situation was really, really in, intense. Um, and it's understandable. Like a lot of people didn't want their pictures taken at that time. Some of the medics were even up in my face, like cussing me out, telling me not to take pictures and stuff. And I understand it. So I do have images of, you know, people being carried out on the stretchers or being helped there, you know, in the moment. But there were so many people, it was hard just to go around and photograph every single person. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, people were definitely upset that there was being pictures taken and videos taken, understandably. But, you know, that stuff needs to be documented and shown. Yeah. I guess that situation, have you guys been in a situation like that before? I worked in the West Bank for four months in 2014, so it wasn't my first time like around intense or violent situations but i think what was more difficult for me is to see something like that taking place in my country Mm -hmm. to that magnitude of violence just because it's like my friend matthew said the guy probably got his butt kicked that day and just decided to drive his car into a crowd of people just out of retaliation and just over a statue, over because your ego hurts, like you're going to go out and kill somebody. Like, that's something I'm still trying to process and understand, you know. So totally, it just doesn't make sense at all. And it's just kind of hard to fathom to see, like, this type of violence and this type of racism and hate becoming so prominent in this country again. It's like I told Megan, it, I think what we're seeing is just years and years of issues that have been kicked under the rug and not properly dealt with or talked about now coming to the surface. Yeah, because they're able to. Yeah, and they're being enabled to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you're there, at least from the Nazi and white supremacist side, is it more evident that they're empowered from Trump? I mean, when people are walking around saying, hail Trump and throwing, you know, a sig hail salute, I think they feel very empowered by it. And the fact that a person that is supposed to be a leader of this country won't firmly condemn them, they feel emboldened. I mean, when the Mm -hmm. former Grand Duke of the Klan is thanking the president for telling the truth, which never happens, like, (laughs) like, yeah, I would definitely say that they feel emboldened. Definitely. They definitely feel empowered and that they're in the right to do this. Well, that's how it comes off. Yeah. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You know, I expect to see more of it, but I think, too, with, like, the doxing that's been taking place and, like, some of the Antifa individuals that are finding their addresses and letting their employers know, I think the more they start to lose jobs and realize that no one really is accepted in our modern-day society with those type of beliefs, I think maybe that would chill them out, you know, <laughs> I would hope, yeah. and maybe get them to think and realize, like, oh, like, I'm completely in the wrong here and no one likes these ideologies. But who knows? I just feel like most of those people that are in those groups are just really fearful of everything and they're ignorant. And you can't really give logic to individuals like that, I feel like. Right. That's just my personal opinion about those people in those groups. Yeah. Like trying to sit down and have a conversation. Yeah. I think that, you know, obviously that the stuff that like Vice has been putting out over the weekend that they had or people are sharing more of maybe this is all. But it's mind boggling and I don't know I don't know, what are both of your opinions on where we go in terms of like your role as a photojournalist to help 
shape the direction of the country. I definitely think that photojournalists just need to keep pushing on and going to these events and capturing history in these moments and, you know, visuals can't lie. (laughs) It is what it is. And, you know, Mm -hmm. just like the Vice article, um, it just shows a lot of truth and you just can't deny that. So I think photojournalists, even though the media is being bashed right now, you just need to keep pushing on and keep doing your work. Yeah. Do you feel like as a a journalist, and obviously these are things that we don't want to exist in the country, but also from a journalistic hat, like you, a lot of people will say like you need to approach it from an unbiased perspective and just record what is happening. Which is very, very incredibly difficult, especially when there's ideas on both sides. For me, I guess I go in and I photograph and I have to let the viewer decide how they feel and what they think. Mm -hmm. And as long as I can do that as honestly and unbiased as I can, that I'm doing my job. Like the opinions and the frustration and (laughs) all of that comes out, you know, whenever I get home and my friends are talking to me about it or Megan and I are discussing it, you know, stuff like that. But I think to shape the country, I think that's all you really can do is just be as honest and photograph those situations as honestly as you can do it. Because if I'm going to try to put my own spin on it, Mm -hmm. I'm not doing the viewer or people who follow my work justice. Mm -hmm. They have to be able to decide honestly. And the only way they can decide honestly is if I'm shooting honestly. And it's easy, I feel like, to paint a narrative of how you feel or your emotions on the situation. It's easy to capture your narrative of it, but you just got to stay neutral and take your emotions home and just talk it out. Don't bring it into your work. Yeah. Yeah. I would even think even when you're editing or making choices for your website, you're still kind of reliving some of that. Yeah. It's hard to check that even then, you know, when you push stuff publicly. Like, you know, what your motivation is for posting X photo. Yeah, because it is difficult because obviously there are some, like this weekend, very, very evil people. Like I said, if you just shoot honestly, it shows. Yeah. You know, the Nazis and the people that were there, I don't have to put a spin on it. Like, people mm-hmm. know they're, they're evil and photographs show that. You know, the things they've done, I mean, they murdered someone. So that's what I'm saying. If you just straight up just stay honest and shoot honest and truthful it will show and people will be able to to see that and make up their mind for themselves and that's not fake news (laughs) you know yeah this really happened yeah all right we're going to take a quick break from the podcast and share with you what we're doing here at musea lab we've got a wide range of papers for professional photographers everything from affordable luster prints up to the best quality cotton archival prints in the market we print with Hanmule and Canson papers, with Epson printers and ink. You can learn more at musealab.com. If you're a wedding photographer, family portrait photographer, if you're a fine art photographer, then use prints for an exhibit. We can handle all those needs for you. Uh, just check us out at musealab.com, and we would be glad to help. All right, back to the show. When you guys are down there, did you encounter any like mace or pepper spray because i know that was being used quite a bit i always get it in the mouth because like (laughs) i always have like my cameras up by my face and and i'm tall 
I'm like six five, so it's like they really have to, you know, <laughs> aim. But yeah, I always seem to get it right across the mouth, and it's horrible stuff. <laughs> it's absolutely horrible. Or you catch like the tail end of the pepper spray in the yeah. breeze, and it just hits you <laughs> in the eyes, and you're just like, yeah. whatever. <laughs> That's what I was catching. <laughs> it's still pretty brutal. It'll uh, yeah. It it makes you think twice. (laughs) I mean, I've never got hit with pepper spray, so or been around it like in that type of an environment. And how does it affect you shooting? And like, do you have to stop for several minutes to let it wear off? It depends on how bad you get it. Like, yeah, because it does cause you to cough, and it does if you get it in the eyes, especially like you're essentially blind for however long it it's there. But the initial like burning and stuff from what I've experienced, doesn't actually wear off until like sometimes even the next day. Like it won't sting or stuff, but it burns and stings like the skin. Mm-hmm. But we didn't this time, but we normally have pepper spray wipes with us. It's a, kind of like a sticky substance and you just wipe it around your face or wherever like you were hit with it at and it takes the burning and the sting away basically almost immediately. Wow. So if you have those, you're pretty set to go. But yeah, if you don't have any of that stuff, yeah, you're you're screwed. <laughs> I had to take a time out after I caught that tail end of it because I was just coughing so hard I couldn't do anything about it. I was literally about to get sick. So, but after that, you just you know pick back up and yeah. I mean, keep it, going. it does affect the shooting to a degree because even if you get like a little bit in your eyes and you're like squinting or to look through the viewfinder yeah. or whatnot, it burns because it's like it's meant to affect the moisture mm-hmm. as well. So the more like moisture and stuff you are pushing through your eyes by like squinting or or whatnot makes it that much worse so yeah i've learned over the years to barely like close your eyes and not squint you learn tactics (laughs) if you don't have the stuff to be able to deal with it (laughs) yeah wow for both of you do you feel like you're going to be trying to document this stuff more like are you going to start chasing this stuff around as it pops up Yeah, we're actually going to Lexington this weekend because we've heard rumors of the Nationalist Front having a rally in protest of the removal of Confederate statues there. Mm -hmm. So I probably will, for sure. Yeah. What about you, Megan? Yeah, definitely. It's important. It's history. It's a part of Trump's presidency, I think, to say the least. Yeah, it needs to be covered. Yeah. It's crazy that, gosh all this has happened so fast yeah within just less than a year yeah kind of makes me a little nervous like the next three years i know yeah definitely yeah. makes me nervous but yeah i mean as far as covering it i won't say that i'll necessarily chase it right they're supposed to have like a free speech rally out in berkeley next weekend so obviously something like that i don't feel like i need to go out there but if it's close or on the east coast then yeah definitely because it almost makes me think that like the photographer is like in world war Two, like that we're in Nazi Germany, like, I feel like it's a sense of duty, like, mm-hmm. to show this for generations to come. Mm-hmm. Like, our kids and the future generations are going to open up history books and possibly see one of my images and be able to learn from it. So I think with that mindset and that idea and thought, like, yeah, I will continue to photograph this stuff. And I'm not comparing America to Nazi Germany, but, like, when you start to see the rise of Nazi groups in the Klan and stuff, that's a problem. And it needs to be shown. Yeah. It feels like these groups have been around. They almost feel like they've went underground for a while. Yeah. But then with, I think, some of the things that happened at uh, some of Trump's 
rallies during the election cycle kind of brought them out, I guess, of some of the things that he was saying and, you know, things of like, hey, back in my day, you know, they would have been carried out in a stretcher, like yeah. those kind of yeah. quotes that he said gives them authority. It seems like now that they feel like they're okay coming more publicly, what as a nation, what we can do, I mean, as a journalist, you would just record it, but how do we move forward as a country to get that silenced again? Make sure it's not cool. Yeah, I think the people who are exposing them and they're actually losing their jobs over it is kind of not taking care of the problem, but definitely helping and yeah, exposing them. Yeah, like there needs to be a bigger conversation about it. Like mm-hmm. everyone realizes like the Klan and Nazis and white supremacists are bad. But it's like my question is do people understand why they're bad? They're not bad just because of a, a name they have it's their beliefs mm-hmm. and people need to understand what their beliefs are and then have that conversation and then let the future generations and even people now who maybe are just getting involved in their country to act better on it like that's something that i feel like our society is lacking is just an understanding of the history of these people that's just my own opinion though. yeah obviously like the saying is history repeats itself and if we don't know our history it's able to repeat itself in ways that shouldn't be repeated. Mm-hmm. I was looking up around your site a little bit, Seth, and you cover people, like you said, on the edges of society a little bit. I mean, do you feel like it's where we're headed as a country and what you're seeing and hearing from people is just we're going to keep being divided more and more? I guess I just figure out what your pulse is on where we're at and where maybe the next year, even just six months or a year, like it's going to get worse before it gets better kind of thing. I believe so because you see even if it's not coming from news sources, and I'm sure we all have friends that have said it, but you have this idea that it's the right against the left. It's my idea against your idea, and that makes us enemies. Mm-hmm. And you see that in events like this weekend where those guys are like Nazis and stuff. So yeah, by all means, like they should be met and come against. Like They shouldn't be allowed to just stand up and say whatever they want. That's my opinion. So you see it there, and then you see it even within families. I'm Republican, you're Democrat. Like, I think there is like a division going on in the country that maybe is not so noticeable, such as things like this weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, even the more noticeable things, some of the people from the white supremacist side were saying that they were going to make Charleston their home and how it was a victory for them, but it wasn't good enough. So I definitely think over the next six months or to a year, however long, it could definitely increase. The violence could increase. Yeah, I think it will get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, simply because you have a president that won't even <laughs> condemn Nazis. Yeah. You know, how can it not get worse? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, yeah, like he didn't. And then like he did because he had read a script and then like, later he like he didn't again like yeah when he goes off script it's like you see like what he really thinks yeah one of my concerns and i don't know maybe from what you can say what you guys when you were there this weekend is you know i'm here in nashville and so we have a lot of civil war history down here obviously in the south we have a lot of monuments and statues to events that happened in the civil war Mm -hmm. really close to here i mean we had one of the bloodiest wars ever in franklin and I'm starting to see discussions amongst people locally and there's people even saying things on Facebook of like, well, anybody that's like a Nazi or white supremacist needs to die. You know, like we need to eradicate them out of the country, you know, kind of the same things that like 
the Nazis are saying about whatever Jews or whoever else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my concern is it is I've seen some people saying like you know it is time for another civil war because we need to get the rid of the hate groups and so it's I'm afraid like violence on violence is I understand like sometimes it needs to happen but I'm also like I don't know if that's really going to be a great thing that's going to solve anything. Yeah, that's something I definitely don't want to see happen. I wish people could just sit down and just have like one huge conversation and take care of all the problems, but that's in a perfect world. And we're, <laughs> we're not right. in a perfect world. <laughs> it's kind of mind-boggling that people would say, we need to have another civil war, because I don't think that's the answer. No. But you also just can't have this rise of hate groups right. that you're seeing either. But that could all be fixed if the leader of the country would condemn them and let them know that they're not welcome. Right. And he's not going to do it. Yeah. When you were down there this weekend photographing, I'm trying to think if these things start happening more and other photographers are going to want to start documenting this, what are some ways you can maybe give of like staying safe or tips like that of how to, you know, get into a situation like this, get what you need, but also not put yourself in harm's way? I think if people, especially younger photographers, are going to go out and cover events like this and they're going to continue to get more violent, Covering conflict, covering war is really romanticized. Mm-hmm. It's something that Hollywood has romanticized, and it's something that's been romanticized since, good like Robert Kappa and and all of those guys. But I think like they need to realize like it's not pretty, and you can die. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like this weekend, any one of us that were there covering it as a journalist could have been beat, killed, or hit by that car. And I think there was one photographer that was hit by that car. Oh, really? I'm not sure of their name though. But my advice would be to do what I did when I was in the occupied West Bank in Israel. I linked up with older photographers that have covered war for 10 to 15 years, and I learned the ropes from them and learned how to navigate and move through conflict areas and situations. Mm-hmm. And they teach you like how to be safe, and you learn everything you can from them. If you're fresh and we're wanting to cover this stuff, don't just go alone. Like, yeah. If you end up there find an older photographer, like become friends and learn from them. That's the safest way because mm-hmm. covering this stuff isn't a game and it's not fun and it's not something to be taken lightly. No. And if you're looking at helmets, if it gets worse, even ballistics vests and that yeah. stuff can be expensive, but putting yeah. the money down is worth your life. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, it's definitely not something to be taken lightly mm-hmm. and it's something to seriously consider and people should ask themselves for a while, why am I doing this? What's my purpose? Am I doing it just because it looks cool or sounds cool? And I'll be able to say to my friends, I run off the conflict areas. Or are you doing it because it's actually legitimately in your heart and important to you to show? Mm-hmm. If your answer is, yeah, I'm doing it just so I can say to my friends and come off as like, I'm cool because I do this, you don't need to go because you'll probably get hurt and end up in the hospital or dead. Just to add to that, I would say just be aware of your surroundings. Yeah, get a helmet, like you said. And then if you do go and cover it, just really take care of yourself mentally and emotionally after you go and experience something tragic like that. Because it does take a toll on your mind a bit. Decompress. Yeah, Yeah. I would add to, like, you know, again, for the younger photographers that may consider going out doing this, or even people who are just getting into it, don't be scared to speak of the mental battles that you may have after witnessing events like this weekend. Yeah. Because a lot of people feel like, oh, I don't need to talk about that. Uh, No, like you need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's one of the only ways you get better. You know, self-care, basically. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going out today, later to 
shoot some soccer with my buddy and just take it easy. Yeah. Because it does take a while to just kind of get your mind off of replaying those situations in your head over and over and over again. Yeah, Megan, yeah. I would be interested a little bit from a female perspective, like in a space like that, mm-hmm. do you feel vulnerable or do you feel more safe because, you know, men on men is more of where the aggression is. And so you can kind of disappear a little bit or is it you feel like it's a threatening place for you? I guess I've never really thought of that. I mean, you're amongst the violence, so really anybody's a target. But I feel as a male or a female, if somebody's getting beat, somebody is bound to step in and say something or do something or, you know, try to help you out. But being a female, I guess people definitely try to treat you like more delicately, but you're not immune to the violence by any means. So, yeah. Yeah, I imagine it's just a free-for-all down there at one point. So Exactly. It's like survival. That's basically what it was. I felt like I was in uh, Viking movies where they're just like having it out, like the two sides come together and it's just a brawl everywhere around you. <laughs> Gosh. All right, thanks for listening to this episode with Seth and Megan. It was great for them to come on and talk about their experience in Charlottesville, Virginia. Please follow them on Instagram. Check out what they're doing. The links for all that are in the show notes of this podcast and this episode. We're going to talk a little bit more with them about some of the photos they took at Charlottesville on the Patreon audio. You can listen to that and support us at patreon.com slash musea. We're also making a bit of an announcement in that audio for our patrons. And so if you want to get in the loop with what we're doing over there and what's coming next and some of the changes we have, you can learn about that on our Patreon page. So again, that's patreon.com slash musea. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for sharing, telling your friends about this podcast. We've got a lot more coming, a lot more amazing episodes down the pipe, and we're going to just keep trying to make it better and better as we go. Thanks so much for James Sweeting for editing this podcast. Appreciate his hard work on this and being part of the team. So, all right. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you guys in a couple weeks.